0: I would ask you or invite you to turn in scripture to that portion that Paul read earlier on. Ezra chapter 8, verse 1 to verse 14. Now, you might... If you are a regular at our evening services, you might be getting a sense of deja vu, I think, because a couple of months ago, um, probably, yeah, the beginning of November time, we looked at Ezra chapter 2. If you're not familiar with Ezra chapter 2, you might want to have a wee flick there, because uh, that was a long, long list of names, very similar to what we have in front of us tonight. And certainly, that was the case for myself. I got this sense of deja vu when I opened Scripture and saw that tonight we would be looking at Ezra chapter 8, and I have to confess, folks, that that sense of deja vu was also tinged with a sense of fear and trepidation. But hear this. You ready? Anthony Joshua. Luke Campbell. Ed McKeever. Laura Trott. Nicola Adams. Heather Stanning. Carl Hester. Alistair Brownlee. Mo Farah. Andy Murray. Greg Rutherford. Bradley Wiggins. Helen Glover. And Jade Jones. Do you know who they are? That's right. It's not just a list of names, is it? It's a list of the British gold medal winners from last summer's Olympic Games. So, not just a list of names, a list of names that means something. So, by way of just a kind of introductory point this evening... I want us to see that this list of names in Ezra chapter 8, okay, it is a list of names, but it is not just a list of names. It is a list of names, but it is not just a list of names. What does that mean? Well, this, this list that we've got in front of us, this list that we've read out, it is part of Scripture. Isn't it? So this is a list that is literally breathed out by God. God has created this list and he's preserved it. He has seen it as worth preserving throughout generations and generations generations of the people of God. And by this list appearing where it does by it appearing in Ezra chapter 8 God is showing us that this list it plays a role it plays a role in our understanding of the book of Ezra and the list also plays a role in our understanding of his whole plan of salvation and when we see that, it should transform our attitude towards this list. We shouldn't approach this with kind of dread or foreboding or whatever. We should approach it with excitement. God has produced this list. It is being been preserved by him. So why? What is here? What does this list in Ezra chapter 8, tell us? What does it tell us? We'll, we'll get to that in a moment, I, I, I promise you. But let's, because there's visitors here, because it's a good thing to do, let's briefly just look at the background to what we've got. What, are, what is this list? Why are we here in Ezra chapter 8? So very briefly, the background. <clears throat> so, so far in Ezra, Ezra opens up with Cyrus freeing the people of God. So we begin Ezra in Babylon. And then the story follows these people, these exiles, as they make the journey from Babylon all the way west and all the way south to Jerusalem. And in the bulk of the next few chapters of Ezra, it sees these people build the temple in Jerusalem. And then something happens. There is a chronological jump. Chapter 6 into chapter 7, we jump forward about 60 years. And then we're back in Babylon. And we follow a second wave of exiles. And that's where we're at tonight. We're back in Babylon, we're at the second wave of exiles, and in fact, what we have before us is the list of these exiles just about to move from Babylon to Jerusalem. So that's a very, very brief overview to the background of chapter 8. Now, when you are studying for the ministry in the Free Church of Scotland, you have many privileges. But one main privilege is that you get to go out and preach in a host, a wide variety of different churches. And when you do that, well, I soon discovered <clears throat> that you get asked a common question, okay? That if you go to the more traditional free churches, and the churches in the west coast of Scotland, primarily, you will get asked the question, hello, how are you? Who are your people? Who are your people? And not having been brought up in the Free Church, when I was first asked that question, I just met that with a blank stare. I had no idea what people were asking. Who are your people? Humans? Scottish people? What, what do you mean? But of course, My wife, Catherine, would quickly point out that the question was to establish whether you had good free church lineage. Who were your people? Who were your family? Were they good free church people? Did you have links to Lewis where there is a good free church contingent? Who are your people? Who are your family? And the first thing that we need to see tonight, in this list of names, it shows the importance of family. Okay, this list of names shows the importance of family. Now, if you were here in November, cast your minds back to Ezra chapter 2 do that you will remember how the names were grouped in Ezra chapter 2 because families were mentioned there but that wasn't the primary way that the list of exiles this first list of exiles were grouped because they were grouped according to temple function so that first list of names it would say here are the priests and then list them. here are the temple servants then list them here are the temple singers, and so forth. But look at this, Ezra 8. It's not the same, is it? It's different here. The sole grouping, the primary grouping here, is according to family. So what you've got is uh, the descendants of Phinehas, and Gershom, and Ithmahar, and so on. It is according to family. So, folks, why is that? Why are these names grouped according to family? Well, the list is recorded like this to provide genealogical legitimacy for those people who are going back to Jerusalem. Okay? Because these people... They didn't want to make that journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem with a question mark over their identity. They wanted to go back to Jerusalem and show that they were true Israelites, that they had a link to the land, that they had a link to their ancestors who lived in the land. So this list is recorded to show the people's lineage. The list is recorded to show their family connections. So friends, even at this stage, let's stop and let, let us ask ourselves, do we as Christians, as the Christian community, do we still cherish and value the institution of family. Do we really? Or have we been affected by society and society's view of family? Because we just need to look around us, don't we? We live in London, most of us. We just need to look outside and see a city in the 21st century that has really abandoned a biblical view of family families the idea seems to be disintegrating before us and we could be very easily and quickly affected by that but friends we need to ask christians we need to stand out on this issue this is an important issue we have to be radically radically counter-cultural when it comes to family and what we think of family. We have to live according to biblical principles here. And part of that involves men. Part of that involves the men here tonight. Because Luke At verse 1. What does verse 1 say? It says, these are the family heads and those registered with them. These are the family heads. The heads of families are singled out in Ezra 8 for special attention. So guys, men, fathers, young men who might one day become fathers, we have to get our heads around the fact that God has ordained certain structures in the biblical family. Certain structures to a family. Now that is not a popular view, is it? And you know, if we were to go out into the world with that tonight, we would be laughed at. We would be rebuked, I'm sure. It goes against everything in society. But family heads do have a particular role to fulfill. So, let me ask the guys here tonight. Let's, let me ask the men, the dads, and the young men. Do you realize and are you embracing the fact that you are to provide spiritual leadership in your home? Spiritual leadership. Are you doing that? Will you do that when you become a dad? Young guys, are you going to do that? Are you going to teach your children about Jesus Christ? properly? Dads, are you giving your children the instruction and teaching that they need? Guys, are we providing examples, biblical examples, spiritual models that our children and families can look to? See, folks, all of us, We need to challenge ourselves when it comes to this stuff. Are we embracing a biblical model of the family? When it comes to the way we live in our families, will people look at us and see something different? Will they be prompted to look to Christ, the biblical family? Now, friends, we, we hear an awful lot, don't we, about deathbeds. We hear uh, there's that sort of common cliche, isn't there, that, uh, that people on their deathbeds aren't going to be counting their money. That people on their deathbeds are not going to wish that they had spent more time at the office and at work. But I'm sure that many Christians on their deathbeds That their concern as they die will be for the people that they leave behind. Their concern will be for their children and for their grandchildren. I'm sure that many Christians' last words have been prayers for the people in their families who don't yet know Christ. And friends, there is an incredible thing about this passage of scripture that we read tonight, okay? And it blows my mind every time I see it. Because here, this list of names in Ezra chapter 8, the names are the same names, with one exception, as the first list in Ezra chapter 2. Now, what is that? all about? Why are the names the same? Why did the same family names appear? Well, what's happening is that this second wave of people, the second wave of returning exiles, they are returning to God. These are people who initially didn't see the importance of dwelling with God, but now do. These are family members who have had their hearts changed And their priorities change. They come to see the importance of dwelling with God. So folks, I ask you tonight, do you have people in your family who are not Christians? Are there people close to you who don't know Jesus? Who show no spiritual interest whatsoever? Well, if that is the case, believe, friend. Trust that God can change those people's hearts. Like, they might seem incredibly cold and antagonistic to Jesus Christ now, but God can work. He can change their hearts. He can reveal Christ to them. You see, sin here in Ezra, sin divided the families, but God reunited them. Now, can you imagine the joy that is going to be ours when we get to glory? Imagine the joy when we come face to face with our children or our grandchildren or family members who we didn't realize were believers who had come to Christ. And we can embrace them, we can turn, we can bow, and we can worship God together with our families. Now that might not happen now. The people in our families, they might not become Christians now. It might, just like it happened in Ezra, it might happen decades later. It might as it happened here. It might happen after we are dead and gone. But friends, believe God can change the lives of those closest to you. He can do that. Sin divided the families in Ezra. But God brought them together again. Now this is the time of year. Where uh, congregations in the Free Church of Scotland, we have to hand in what is called a statistical schedule. And this is the bane of Peter's life and my life too. The statistical schedule. This is where we record a figure, statistics, the number of people who come to our church meetings in the morning, the number of Sunday school kids. We've got the number of people who come to the prayer meetings and so on. And so forth, And all these figures are kind of put together by the central office of the free church. And we are supposed to get a kind of wider view of the health, or otherwise, of our denomination. And of course, over the last few decades, over the last 30 years or so, or even more, we have seen in the free church and in reformed churches... In the UK and elsewhere, a gradual decline in numbers who are attending our churches. And that takes us to a further consideration tonight, okay? And that is that the names show a spiritual decline, okay? That uplifting point there. The names show a spiritual decline, okay? Let's think about numbers, numbers. Now, one commentator has kindly done the maths for me. And uh, he's noted that this first wave of exiles in Ezra chapter 1 and chapter 2, they numbered, ready for it, 49,897 people. That's how many people went back to Jerusalem, 49,000. That's nearly 50,000 people. That is absolutely amazing, isn't it? But look at it now. Look at it in Ezra chapter 8. Now here we're talking about pretty close to 1,500 men. Even when we try and bump up the numbers, as we do in the free church, I suppose, and even if we include the women, we include the kids, and we try to boost it up, it's only going to come to about, at best, 5,000 people. 50,000 first time round, 5,000 here. Why? Why so few in the second wave? Well, to be honest... We don't know, we can't can't be sure, we can only speculate. But perhaps, perhaps these people had lost their initial zeal, hadn't they? Because the first time round, everything's new, isn't it? Cyrus comes to power, he frees the people from their chains, and they've got this new opportunity, everything's new. They can go back to Jerusalem and worship God. But now things are different. The years have gone by. The excitement, that initial burst is gone. It's waned. And now very few people grasp this opportunity to worship God. Does that tonight, you know, does that not sound kind of familiar? Is that not a familiar thing to us? Is it not recognizable? Is that what has happened To us in our churches? Is that what's happened to you? In your spiritual life? Has that initial zeal? For Jesus Christ? Do you remember that? Is that completely gone? And is it now replaced with gradual spiritual decline? Ah. Well that might be the case. But this picture we've got in ezra chapter 8 believe it or not it is not altogether a depressing picture because yeah i grant you there's numeric decline but what happens to these people what happens to this small group of the people of god well they return to jerusalem they return to where god dwells and god uses them You see, God uses these people to fulfill his purposes. Because out of this group of believers in Jerusalem, the Messiah would come, wouldn't he? A saviour would come. Out of these people, God would grow the church. The gospel, out of this small group of people, the gospel will go to every country, every nation under the sun. You see, friends, we don't know what the future holds for us as a congregation. We don't know what the future holds for us individually. But what we must do is return to God. We must obey God. We must live for him and dwell in him. If we want to see that growth, if we want to see personal maturing, congregational advancement, then we have to live for God even, as was the case here, it involves a tough, tough journey ahead. So friends, let not numeric declension in the Christian community, let not that affect your spiritual life. Because we might be few. But if we obey God, if we dwell in him, then he will bless us. He will Bless us. Now, one uh, side effect, folks, to the near universal access that we have to the internet, one side effect is this kind of explosion of interest in family trees. It's just everywhere, isn't it? There's loads of sites devoted to. the ability to track down your ancestors and your long-lost relatives. <coughs> I think there's even TV programs uh, devoted to it now. It's, it's, it's clearly very important for people to find out where they've come from to get a handle on uh, where they are and, on who they are. And that leads us to our, our final thing tonight. And we close with this, folks. Okay, and this is the third Point. The names here show the lineage of the Messiah. You got that? We close with this. Stick with it. The names show the lineage of the Messiah. Because, <coughs> folks, when we see a list like this, a list that I grant you seems kind of Strange. You know, it's a list of names, a few numbers sprinkled in there. We have to ask ourselves, what is is it all about? You know, from an eternal perspective, what is a list like this all about? What does this list in Ezra 8 have to teach us about salvation? What does it teach us about our Lord Jesus Christ? And yeah, we might, I guess, have to look pretty carefully. But have a look at verse 2. Have a look at verse 2. And What name sticks out from that? Verse 2. Can you see it? You've got it, I'm sure. It is the name David. The name David. It says, of the descendants of David Hattush. Now, why is that important, you might ask? What is so special about the line of David? Well, I'm sure you know the answer to that. Through scripture, we are told that the line of David is an eternal... Dynasty, that out of this line, one is going to come. A savior is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. So here we've got this picture in Ezra chapter 8 of a people who are facing such incredible uncertainty. They are on the verge of difficulty, they are on the verge of a, a terribly difficult journey. But even here, even in this obscure few verses, a bizarre section of scripture, even here is a reminder that God has promised a Messiah. He has promised a Savior. My friend, where are you tonight? What state is your life in this evening? Are you going through that kind of difficult and torturous and and dark period? Are there things going wrong? Is there this difficult and tough and hard journey ahead? Well, if so, remember this. That you might not always be able to see it. And you might not always be able to sense him. And you might not always be able to feel him. But Jesus Christ has promised, and he has promised his people, surely I am with you always. I am with you always. Even till the very end of the age. So friend, no matter what is happening, do not panic. Do not despair. Because as you journey, one is walking with you. One is traveling with you. And he is a descendant of David. He is the Messiah. He is an everlasting king. So, folks, Ezra 8, 1 to 14. This is a list of names. this is not just a list of names. Praise God for his holy and perfect and inherent and living word. Let's pray.